Thank you, Levi and worship team. We have uh, a number of people that work behind the scenes here that help bring Sunday morning uh, into the, the uh, time when we can come together, uh, practicing during the week for the worship team and, and other things that take place. And just thought this might be a good opportunity to remind you that if you uh, are looking for some way to minister here, to serve here, uh, you don't have to be someone who gets up in the pulpit or teaches a Sunday school class or any of that type of thing. We have lots of uh, behind-the-scenes work that goes on throughout the week, and we can always use you. So if you uh, desire to serve and not sure what you can do, come and talk to me, and I will be glad to find out what your skill level is at whatever it is and put you to work at it. And uh, we would we would love to have you work with us. So uh, please... Uh, consider that if you are looking for something to uh, to do during the week or uh, even during the month. Uh, the sub-series that we're presently in is called On Mission with Jesus, and it's a continuation of our preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, which we have been in for a little while now and will be in since we're only in chapter 10 uh, for some time yet. Uh, just uh, as I studied this uh, last couple of weeks, I... Uh, again, I'm reminded of how rich and full the scriptures are, that uh, when we come on Sunday or one of the classes that we have going on and try to teach a passage or teach different verses, uh, so often there's so much more that can be said, but because of the limit of time, uh, we don't always uh, get to unpack it to its fullest, but uh, the good thing about that is that means that there's lots more to hear. So come back. Keep coming. Keep coming and anticipating to hear from God's Word as we go through the book of the Gospel of Matthew in particular. This morning I'll be teaching on chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. You can start turning in your Bible in that, in that direction. Hold it open for a second. Uh, in my version that I use, the English Standard Version, the Bible identifies... Uh, this particular passage as persecution will come. Uh, not necessarily a topic that we uh, desire to hear or, or uh, really want to find much out about, but we, we do know from Scripture that persecution will come to God's children, to the saints. Uh, when B.J. set up this particular series as far as the breaking it up in sections, he entitled this particular session for today, Conflict in Mission, which is the title that I am going with um, on this sermon. All the sermons that we do Sunday morning and now the foundation classes that we've been doing Sunday night are available on the, the podcast. If you go to the church's website, you can listen in on those if you happen to miss them or if you... Uh, wanted to hear them again or refer somebody uh, to a particular sermon, you can tell them how to find out. In your bulletin is the church web uh, address, and that's where you can go to link to that podcast. Chapter 10 of Matthew is where Jesus commissions the 12 men that he has been calling his disciples up to this point, and now he appoints them and calls them apostles. As disciples, 
they were somewhat typical of the time. It's, it's, it's very common at that time, and from what I understand even today in the Jewish religion, uh, of having rabbis or having teachers that would have a following, and they would be typically called uh, disciples. In this particular case, Jesus is the teacher that the disciples are following. And the disciples would, would be more dedicated to that particular teacher than others that may be available in their area. Uh, they would follow him. They would listen to his teachings. They would, they would study after him and, and, and seek to learn from him all that he has to say about whatever subject, in this particular case, scriptures, and what he has to say. A disciple is a learner, or a student, if you will. But in this chapter, Jesus changes their title to apostles. A disciple was not only a pupil of a, of a particular teacher, but was someone who adhered to the teachings of that particular t- uh, teacher or instructor. They would imitate the teacher. They would seek to, to learn as much as they can from them. They, they maybe a poor choice of words, but they, they would idolize or they would, they, would, they would seek to learn as much as they can from that particular teacher. An apostle, on the other hand, is a qualified representative who is sent on a mission. And that we see as the apostles, these 12 men, uh, definitely fit that particular description. They were students before, and now they've been instructed by Jesus, and they are being sent out to preach publicly in the area. Looking back briefly in the first chapter, or the first few chapters or verses of chapter 10, Jesus identifies these men by name. So we don't have to struggle or, or wonder who Jesus is talking about. He gives us their names, and we've already had a, 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 a teaching on that a number of weeks ago. Jesus identifies them by name and he gives them the authority to be able to cast out unclean spirits, to heal afflictions and diseases, to raise the dead, and to cleanse lepers. All things that are being used to be able to confirm their calling and that they are on a mission for Jesus and to be able to confirm the words that they are speaking. Beginning with verse 5, Jesus sent out the apostles on a short-term mission trip, if you will, one that was specifically to the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. In fact, Jesus tells them not to go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans while they were out on this particular trip and this particular mission. Not that if they came across some of these people, they couldn't talk to them or preach the gospel to them, but they were not to go out looking specifically for them. This trip was to be for the lost sheep of Israel. For this short mission trip, Jesus prepares them by instructing them on what they should do, what they should preach, how much they should deal or how they should deal with money and and possessions that they may or may not take with them, what to expect when they go among the people, and in today's scripture, what character that they should show. As chapter 10 continues after my passage today that I'll be dealing with, Jesus tells the apostles to expect persecution, but not to fear, and to confess Christ openly as they go out. 
And lastly, that in the very end of chapter 10, that those who endure to the end will be saved. So now that we've had a quick review of chapter 10, let's read our passage today, chapter 10, beginning in the 16th verse. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake, or for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his children. And the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Excuse me a minute. I've been fighting a little bit of a cold, so I'm getting kind of dry. This chapter, if you look at the context of what is taking place here, is directed to the apostles primarily. In verse 1, Jesus tells them that. And he called them his 12 disciples and gave them authority. And um, and, and it, it, it's, talk, it's, it's identifying that those are the 12 men that he is talking to. However, we will find as we go through this passage, and as if you think about this particular passage, if you've gone through it before, that we don't have any evidence that they suffered any of the persecution or the things that, took, that Jesus told them would take place during this particular short missionary trip that they were doing. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just we don't have any scriptural proof that it did happen. So the assumption would be that they probably did not run into as much as uh, what is Jesus is talking about in this passage. However, we know that the apostles, after Jesus uh, rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, that they, that is when their ministry really takes off, if you will. That's, that's when they become very active in the ministry continuing the work of Christ and carrying out the, the work that he had set before them. We also know that during that time, Scripture is very, and the New Testament in particular, and church history is very clear about persecution that the disciples um, and the, the apostles went through, uh, especially after Christ died. We also know that Jesus himself, after saying all this, went through persecution at the end of his life when he gave it up. Uh, he was taken before Pilate and was uh, killed on the cross. We know that uh, immediately in the book of Acts, uh, which is kind of the, the history, if you will, of the beginning of the, the church age, the church of Christ, that uh, 
Immediately after Jesus is gone, Peter and John are in Jerusalem after Pentecost. And we're told in chapter 2 that they preached the gospel and many many were saved. They continued doing the very message that Jesus told them back in chapter 10 to go and um, proclaim the message that he gives to them. And they continued that. In chapter 3 of Acts, a man lame from birth is healed. And then because of that, the first time that Peter is taken before the Sanhedrin to be admonished for doing the work that he is doing. So we see immediately after Christ leaves the earth to return to heaven, persecution begins. And and this message, if you will, begins to take a, a, a fuller light in the sense that it starts taking place, the things that Jesus warned them of doing. We learn from scriptures and from church history that all the apostles faced persecution of some sort during their ministry for their faith. And all but a few died a martyr's death sometime later, including the very writer of this gospel, Matthew, who eventually left Israel and, and is believed to have traveled to uh, Parthion, which is uh, the northeastern part of uh, Iran today, and then ended up in Ethiopia, which is where he ended up being killed for his faith. The Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 of the various persecutions that he experienced during his time, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, no food and water, dangers from all sides, sleepless nights, adrift at sea, shipwrecked, all the different things that he names off that he went through, and many of them, he said it was repeatedly, things that happened a number of times to him. So he suffered persecution for Christ, and then eventually he was beheaded with a sword in Rome for his Savior. From historical accounts, we learn that over the centuries, since the church age began, there have been many of God's saints who, suffer, who have suffered persecution and many have died, as Jesus informs the apostles here. Even today, persecution of men, women, and children because of their faith in Jesus Christ continues. So not only is this passage dealing with the apostles at the time Jesus is talking to them in, 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 as it takes place in chapter 10, but it pertains to their entire ministry and their entire, the remainder of their lives as a minister for Christ. But it also has a, um, uh, an effect on us as saints. If you're a believer, uh, this passage speaks to you also about things that will take place in your life. Maybe you have faced some persecution sometime in your lifetime already. If not, maybe it will come. I think today's passage tells us that that we as believers should expect it if we're following Christ. One pastor that I I recall in my past uh, once said that if you're not facing persecution then maybe you should look at how you're living. If you're not living a life that is obvious that you're a Christian, then obviously you're not going to probably suffer any kind of 
persecution or, or discomfort because of that. If nobody knows you're a Christian, then why would they bother? While I know persecution happens in the United States, I think one of the reasons why it's not more prevalent today is probably because we have so watered down the scriptures and its message in the church today that it's not much of a threat. I mean, there are churches that are much more on fire for the Lord. There are individuals that are much more on fire for the Lord and serve them. And they tend to get attention in the sense of people responding to that. But if we're not following Christ and, and being bold about it, then that may very well be the very reason why you're not getting any inconvenience because of your faith. But even with the knowledge from this chapter that persecution will come to Christians, I don't, I don't think that is totally everything that Jesus is intending for his disciples, his apostles, to get out of this particular passage. Yes, warning them that persecution will come, but there's so much more in these few verses that we'll be kind of talking about. Um, first of all, that it is Jesus who is sending the apostles out to do this work. It's not the decisions of the apostles. They didn't come up one day and go, hey, we've got a great idea. You know, just like Jesus has been going around talking to people, let's all do the same thing. We'll go out and we'll go out and witness to the lost people that we run into. No, it's not the apostles that came up with this. Jesus is sending them. We see that in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you. He's the one sending them out. At the end of this gospel, Jesus repeats his command and makes it clearer that he is speaking to all Christians, not only in the passages that we're reading, but especially in chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, where we get the Great Commission, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the message is early in Matthew, and he repeats it at the end of Matthew, to go out, to take and proclaim salvation and redemption to the lost, and to take it out to them. So what is the message? What is the message that he is sending them out to to, uh, to proclaim. We see this back in verse 7, that uh, uh, I forget who preached that particular sermon, uh, where Jesus says, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the gospel message. It's the good news that he tells them to go out and preach. John Piper, in a response, he wrote to a question, What is the gospel message? in a very Piper way of responding. And if you know anything about John Piper, you'll pick this up when I read this answer. He says, The gospel is the good news that the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin 
forgiving death and hope-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And it is good news. It's news that the lost needs to hear. That they're damned to hell without Christ, but that there is redemption through Christ. That they can be saved. And someone needs to take it to them. But in this passage, we see that Jesus tells the apostles, take this out and tell the people this. But he tells them that the world is going to reject the message. If, if I was a human resources manager trying to hire people to be apostles of Jesus Christ, it would be a hard sell to find somebody who will go out and do some of the things that Jesus is telling him. Go out and do this. Oh, by the way, you're going to be persecuted. And the message that you're going to take out, and the world's going to reject anyway. I mean, how do, you, how do you find those people? But praise be to the God that Jesus selected his men and that they were faithful to that because we're the result of that, ultimately. We're saved because these apostles followed Christ and went out and, and carried out the mission and, and the message. He says in verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Several weeks ago, I spoke on demons in, the, in context to the story of the lepers in the country of the Gadarenes. Satan and his demons hate Jesus. Satan is identified in Scripture as the enemy, the father of lies, murderer, prince of the darkness of this world, the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience, the wicked one. What a, what a, a despicable human being or a despicable uh, being. All these things that identify him. But Satan and his demons are constantly at work harassing the Christian, hoping to make you ineffective. And towards the lost, they're constantly trying to prevent them from hearing the gospel message. They don't want the lost to be saved. They're the enemy. Satan and his demons are the enemy of Christ. They hate Christ. They hate Jesus. And their agents on earth, according to what Jesus is saying here, are men. So Jesus says to beware of men because they'll deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. So there's kind of a little bit of an ironic message here in the sense that he tells us to go out to the lost but they were going to reject the message. But to go out to the lost, but beware of men. And I'll try to explain that a little bit as we go. Not only will the civil government be involved in persecuting the, the apostles as when Jesus was brought before Pilate or Paul was being brought before King Agrippa and eventually the Caesar and so on from church history, but Jesus also says that you will be flogged in the synagogues. So we... We know, I guess, if, if, you, if you read any news whatsoever, even today in the world, we know that government is 
involved in various pressures and persecutions of Christianity and of the faith. And, and in some ways, I guess we expect that. It doesn't surprise us when we see the courts making rulings that are contrary to Scripture. It doesn't surprise us when politicians do things that are contrary to Scripture. It's kind of like we accept that as, as part of what civil government is all about. And it's a shame that we, we think of it that way. But I think the one that is probably harder to grasp, if you will, but has been as active in persecution of Christians through church history is that it's the, the, the synagogues, or, or the way the verse was read, um, and flog you in their synagogues. Their synagogues was their churches. Their, their religious institution of the day was where they would be flogged. So not only is civil government against the Christians and against the apostles, but the religious establishment is also. There will be even there will even be persecution from within. Remember Saul, and I, when I was studying, this was reminded of me, and I thought um, actually there was some aspect to this that I, I wasn't aware of, and they kind of cleared up for me. Saul, before he became Paul, when he was on the road to Damascus, remember he had orders from the chief priest to go to Damascus to arrest Christians. Remember, that was his purpose. He was going to Damascus, and anyone who he found who, who was a follower of Jesus, he was to arrest. I've always assumed that upon doing that, he would drag them back to Jerusalem before the high priest and the Sanhedrin, and they would be punished or put to death there. But that's not the case. The synagogues in the various locations they were at was responsible for the discipline that took place for their area of influence that they were in. So Paul, Saul was to arrest these people by order of the chief priest, but take them to the local synagogues. Where, and that is where the flogging or the punishment would take place for following Jesus. So the synagogues, to us, you know, we do have synagogues in the world, but it doesn't mean that much to us as, as Protestants. But we do see that there's been through church history and even today, churches, religious institutes that have persecuted or has done things that you sit there going, how do you call yourself a church when you don't even preach the gospel or you don't, I mean, you're, 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 you're doing things that seem to be avoiding conflict with the world instead of preaching the truth and teaching the truth. And the church, the religious institutes have done that, have been involved in that throughout history. One of the things that could take place in these synagogues when they were punishing the, the uh, people they arrested was floggings. We thought church discipline was tough in the church age. I don't think we would ever get to the point where you'd get a flogging in front of the congregation. I, in fact, I'm fairly confident that will never happen. But, uh, but there, they, it would. It, it was one of the means of discipline. Through church history, 
There have been many persecutions and attempts to silence the good news, even by church leaders and the religious establishment. But they don't seek this because of you in particular. We see in verse 22 that Jesus tells the apostles that this type of persecution is because of him. He says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So in some ways, I could say, don't take it personal. I mean, you are the one who is being persecuted, but it's not because of you, but it's because of who you serve. It's for Jesus' name's sake that those who suffer and are persecuted are persecuted. It is Jesus they hate and want to stop. But it's the work of the Spirit that can never be quenched. We're told that in Scriptures, that, that it will always accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Those that God wants to save and plans to save will be saved. There's nothing man can do. There's nothing Satan and his demons can do that will stop the plan of God to save those that he wants to save. And the commands to go remains in effect. If you're a believer, you are still commanded to go to the lost and share the good news. Notice in both of these passages, uh, in in, uh, Matthew 10 and in Matthew 28 that I shared with you already, the Great Commission, the commission and the command was given out, but there never is a location in Scriptures that you can find where it says, okay, it's over. You don't have to do that anymore. Everything's been accomplished. The commission is still there. We're still called to go out to our lost friends and people that we know and to proclaim the gospel to them. It's still in effect. There are a couple phrases used in this passage that I hope to uh, help um, understand a little better as we are um, moving through it. Jesus said in verse 16 that the apostles were to go out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Kind of an interesting phrase. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is interesting. They were to be sheep in the midst of wolves. Notice that it's not you are sheep and the wolves will come, but you are sheep and the wolves are already there. Some of these wolves are what Scripture calls false teachers. Some of these wolves will be people that are spiritual leaders that are proclaim, or claiming that they are following Christ, but they teach a false message. They try to cause confusion in the church. They try to, to soften the scripture, if they will. They would be the ones in my eyes, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but they would be the ones that I would see who is not concerned about preaching about sin because that might cause some discomfort to somebody or talking about the wrath of God because they don't want to concern you with things like that. It might scare you. But these are things that have to be preached. 
It's in the Word of God. If it's in the Word of God, it needs to be taught. It needs to be understood. And if someone doesn't understand about sin or the wrath of God and the judgment of God, then how will they know about their need for a Savior? And why would they even come to a Savior if they don't understand that there's sin and wrath that's involved in in the circumstances, in the, in, the, in the picture. So they were to be sheep in the midst of wolves and go out. But we're not just sheep waiting to be slaughtered. The apostles were not meant to be sheep and you walk out there among the wolves and you're just going to be ripped up and devoured and, and that's the end of it. Because remember... Um, in John 10, that Jesus teaches that he is the good shepherd. Jesus, who calls his sheep by name and leads them out, he's the same shepherd who will be leading his apostles out among the wolves. He lays down his life for the sheep and he knows his own. Jesus leads us. And in fact, in verse 18 and 19, Jesus told the apostles, that when they are delivered over to the governors and kings, they're not to be anxious about what they are to say. Because he's going to be with them. He will tell them what to say when the time's appropriate. So even though he's saying there's going to be persecution, there's going to be people who reject this message, on the same breath he's telling them, go out. And don't be anxious about what to say because when the time is right, I will give you what it is you need to say. In that hour, the Holy Spirit will speak through you. For He is the Helper. John 14 says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have to say to you. So go out. And proclaim the message to these people. Beware of them. Understand that you're going to be among wolves. Maybe these false teachers, but also the same people that he's saying beware of. Beware of men. They're the wolves. Beware of these people. They're not your friend. They're going to be trying to tear you down because of my name's sake. But I will be with you. For he is our great shepherd. In verse 22, another statement that uh, could tend to be a little bit uh, confusing. It says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is not to say that you have to earn your salvation by suffering persecution or by any other means. That's not what this passage is getting to. And we know that as we continue through Bible study, through the Bible and through the New Testament in particular, we understand that Jesus is the door by which one must go in. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we know that 
this can't mean for you to be saved, you have to go through this persecution. It can't mean that. So for the one who endures to the end to be saved means that the person was already saved in the first place. During periods of persecution through the church age, there have been many who have been jailed or killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But there have been others who before persecution came, they may have been claiming that they were believers and followed him. They might have gone to church every Sunday. They might have attended different Bible studies on a regular basis. But when persecution came, they rejected him because they didn't want to go through the persecution. They stepped back and said, well, well, you know, I mean, in fact, we even have an example in scriptures that, that really kind of stands us out to us, which is someone that you don't necessarily, uh, I guess, if you don't know his life uh, from what we've seen in scripture, understand. But remember Peter, he rejected Christ three times. This is one of the apostles. But he was brought back into fellowship with uh, Christ. Christ was teaching him something through his trial. But there's been times when people have been persecuted and they've rejected Christ or they've stepped back so they didn't have to go through whatever the punishment is. I think we see in Revelation with the, um, the, the various events taking place and people who uh, accept the Antichrist and follow him get uh, stamped somehow with the, the 666. And I, I know many of you understand what I'm talking about without uh, a long sermon on it. But uh, some of those people were people who were probably claiming Christ up to that time. But then they started realizing what they would not have in their human resources if they continued to follow him. So they gave in and got the mark of the beast. So the person who endures to the end is one who is showing authentic faith in their life. If they don't endure to the end, if they, if they give up before persecution comes or in the face of persecution, then more than likely they were never saved in the first place. Remember, just because you claim to be a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. I remember hearing uh, as a teenager someone explaining why they thought they were a Christian. And it was because they lived in the United States. Of course I'm a Christian. People have bizarre understandings of what following Christ means. So just because you claim Christ doesn't mean that you are an actual Christian. They rejected Christ because they never knew him in the first place. For one to endure to the end, one must believe in and confess Christ as Lord and follow him. And while we may not be the judges of each other as to if salvation is authentic in someone or not, that's not something that we, we don't know the hearts of everyone. That's for God to know. We can, I think, and should be able to see some evidences of true faith in someone who claims to be a Christian. I've shared this 
before, and I share it briefly again in Galatians 5, where there's a list of the, what uh, the writer calls the works of the flesh. And there's another list that's called the fruit of the Spirit. It says if you, um, if you are involved in sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, you will not inherit the kingdom of, the kingdom of God. So if you're claiming Christ, but this looks more like your life than the fruits of the Spirit that we'll read in a second, then there's every reason for you to look at your life and go, I'm being told that I will not inherit the kingdom of God if I live this way. But on the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If your life looks more like that, then you're probably on the right track. But the question is that you need to ask yourself, is which one of these do I look more like? If you're a Christian, you'll be fighting not to have the works of the flesh active in you. You'll be constantly fighting that urge to follow those things. But if you're not a Christian, you'll not be able to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit because He's not in you. You may be able to show love to your relatives. You might be able to be peaceful at times. But all these fruits will not be something that you are known by because you can't be because the Holy Spirit's not in you. So to endure to the end and be saved means that you are a true believer and that you are faithfully following Jesus in your life. You will endure because the Holy Spirit is in you and will get you through the persecution. So when when these apostles go out and they face the persecution that they will face later in their ministries. That is why they're able to go to their death, some of them in some horrible uh, methods that were used. They were able to do that because Christ was in them and the Holy Spirit was with them. Of course, this doesn't mean that you won't lose your life if you face persecution. It's not something that we necessarily should be praying for. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm not one who is necessarily thinking that, you know, Lord, I, I'm not suffering very much persecution this year. Maybe uh, you should bring a little more on. Uh, that's, that's definitely not the way we should be looking at it. But if you're one who faces persecution because of your faith, don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit is with you. He will give you the answers that you need. He will help you get through that circumstance. And I think it is something for us to consider that if you can look back at your life and go, you know, I don't know that there has ever been a time in my Christian walk that 
someone hasn't said something or I felt that because of my belief in Jesus that I've had some hardship, then maybe you need to look at your life and see how it is that you're living your life. Maybe you need to be more bold and active in your walk, more willing to take chances, more willing to to talk to that lost neighbor or that lost coworker or that lost sibling. Consider that. But if you face persecution, I just thought about Paul when he was describing some of the things he was going through. How he explains that even though he's frequently persecuted for his Savior, for him to live as Christ and to die as gain, he wasn't afraid of persecution. His goal was to follow Jesus and serve Jesus, even to his death. As we finish today with communion, I would like to call on those who claim to be believers here today to do what 1 Corinthians 11.27 says and to examine yourself. To not come to the table that we will be taking together with an unrepented heart or a spirit of bitterness or any other ungodly attitude or this is not the way that we should be taking part of this ceremony. If you have any of those things going on, you need to confess them in this time while we sing and pass out the elements. You have some time to just quietly talk to your Savior and confess them, repent of them. Or to take of the cup and the bread and having this unrepented heart is to dishonor the communion table and dishonors the body of Christ. And I think 1 Corinthians also talks about that that could, brings a guilt upon you of some sort. So make sure you take care of that. Don't don't we we do this in a weekly basis, which is unusual for this uh, for churches that I've ever been involved in, but it's become part of our our church life to do this. Don't let it become regular and unmeaningful to you because we do this so often. Remember what the purpose is. Remember what we're supposed to be doing and and especially remember that as we come together and take this, we want to have unity and fellowship with Christ and each other as we do this and and to make sure that we uh, set aside those um, unrepented things in our, our lives. So as the worship team comes forward, if the ushers will pass out the the elements hold them. We'll take them together. And uh, we'll continue in just a minute.
So one of the things that I want you to go away with today is not that because I'm a believer I need to face persecution in some way or that I will. What I hope that you see is that Jesus was telling them, preparing them that this will happen. But he was assuring them that he was going to be with them. His spirit was going to guide them. His spirit was going to tell them what they need to know when they needed to know it and be able to respond. That when they, when he's, they are taking before the governors and the, and the kings, that in those times they'll have opportunity to do what? Give their testimony. To proclaim Christ even in persecution. He's telling them, don't fear. Don't fear. God saves. God's still saving. And, you know, when we read some passages like this, we might wonder, well, if, if God tells us to go out and proclaim the gospel, but the people are going to reject it, then why go out and proclaim the gospel? But it's because God is still at work saving those that he's going to save. And somehow in his, his plan, he's decided to use us to get that message out. So regardless of how scary it might be for you to go and share Christ to somebody, you may be the very person God wants to use for someone to hear about Christ and to find salvation. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of persecution and don't be afraid to, to go through it because it's not something we have to be afraid of. Paul taught us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for he says, For I received from the Lord what I also de- delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take bread together. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Stand together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for your word that you give us, where you talk to your apostles and you talk to your followers that include us as Christians and assure us that you are with us, that your Holy Spirit will be with us and will strengthen us and will give us the words to speak when necessary. Lord, we pray 
that today you will be with everyone here, that if, if anyone here is calling themselves a Christian, that you will make it real in their lives. That you will show them if they are truly following you in the way that is worthy of the manner of their calling. Lord, help us all to be more bold. Help us all to be more willing to go out and talk to the lost that we know. Lord, we know that you are still in the work of redemption and saving lost souls, and we pray for the many that we have on our prayer list and the many that we may be able to come up in our own minds of people that we know that are lost. And Lord, we pray for their souls even now and ask that you will save them. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your blessings. We pray that as we go out that we might not forget whose children we are. In Jesus' name, amen.